So again, John chapter 1. So again, I want to give credit to Mr. Johnny Hunt today. Uh, and actually, the next three messages are all by Mr. Johnny Hunt. He, he pastored in a church, I think, in North Carolina, then in Atlanta for a long time. I think he's now, um, he has a new job with the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, but he has been um, uh, preaching for a long time. He has an incredible uh, story of, of coming to faith in Christ. And, um, you know, and so I encourage you to look him up. Again, Johnny Hunt. And I want to give credit to him for the outline today and a few illustrations and quotes. So uh, did you know that there are 7.5, close to 8 billion people in the world? Did you know that? About 8 billion uh, there are 327 million people in the United States. That's a lot of people, right? Uh, we're, we're shrinking it down. There are 21 million people in Florida. Still a lot of people, right? In Hamilton County, there are about 14,000. Again, those numbers are, you know, fairly recent, okay? And within five-mile radius of this church, there's 6,500 people in this, in this area. So you, when you hear those numbers... It's easy to get lost in them, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, I think my dad used to pick on me and say, man, said, said, son, statistics don't matter. All right, N- numbers don't matter. But, I, of course, I had to scream a little bit because I felt like I, I'd use some numbers to help me be a better basketball coach from time to time. But I think numbers, it's easy to get lost in that and then come to the point where we think, does one really matter? If there's 8 billion people in the world, does one really matter? And so today, as you can see, the, if you saw in the, in the uh, bulletin, the title of today's message is The Importance of One. And it just happens to be Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Isn't that funny how that worked out? You can say it's funny or whatever, but I, I think it's uh, pretty interesting uh, that we know that one person matters, right? One baby matters. One unborn child matters. Uh, you bet it does. Uh, I had a poster. I got an idea from Sally. Sally did this last year, and I said, man, I love that. Uh, and so I stole it from her this year, the idea. And I have it in, uh, I have a poster that simply says, you matter. You matter. And I put it up on my, above my board every day. It's, it's above my board, so when the students come to my classroom every day, they see in front of me that they matter. Yeah, you matter. And, and we even put it in the gym, when you, in the hallway when you come in as well, because I want them to realize that, one, you re- definitely do matter, but... Do we as Christians really believe that? Do we really believe that? See, John 3.16, you know it by heart, right? but listen, listen to it. For God so loved the world. And a lot of times preachers say, you know, put your name in there. You know? In this way, He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So today we're looking at the importance of one. Uh, we might think of one as being small and insignificant, but think about the Bible. Uh, it talks about the, the one pearl of great price, or the one lost coin, or the one lost sheep, or the one lost son, right? They mattered. They mattered. Johnny Hunt said, uh, said this. He said, I'm not sure what all is entailed as to why we're crying in heaven. Um, I'm one of the scenes of the book of Revelation, which is, by the way, Revelation 21, verse 4, because it says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I never really thought about that before, but it meant that there was crying. If you wiped away the tears, there had to be crying, right? Okay? Uh, and it says, um, you know, no more grief, uh, grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Maybe it's, I don't really know the details there, but he made this point. He says, maybe it's because um, 
there, you know, the, the tears are whenever we get there and we realize who is not there, who's not there with us. Um, it's one thing if they reject the gospel. It's a whole other thing if we never told them. Whole other thing. So the, the point today, the main point, um, is if we as Christians really want to see people come to Christ, we must realize that one matters. O-N-E. Capitalize that. Okay, so here we go. The disciples of Jesus often overlook the value of one. We, a lot of times we don't think it's a big deal if we just invite somebody to church. So we don't. Or, um, you know, we, we just we don't see the value in that sometimes. I mean, can you name one person who has come to Christ through your invite or witness? Can you name one uh, in your life? Um, the gospel makes all of this possible. Uh, Romans 1 verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. Notice the power of God to everyone who believes. We don't have the power to bring people to salvation. We don't have that power. We've talked about this before, but we have an obligation to anyway. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Helen, I think, talked about that a couple weeks ago in our, in our discipleship lessons. But the, the idea there is like, um, unfortunately, not everybody, every time we share the gospel with somebody, are they going to accept Jesus right there? It's not going to happen. You may be somebody who is the first person told them about Christ. That means you planted you plan to see. Or you might be somebody who waters it along and along. It might take six or seven, 10, 15 people talking to them, 100 uh, before they come to Christ. But God gives the growth. So now if you'll turn with me, I, I think you're already there. John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 45. Okay. Calling it the disciples. All right, we looked at that, uh, I think, two weeks ago. But read with me starting in verse 45. And it'll be on the screen as well because Miss Rhonda is awesome. All right. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, You are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. May God bless the reading of His Word. Amen. So there are three things I want to encourage and challenge you to do today. And again, the, the outline has been coming from Southern Baptist Convention as we go through this whole series, and I hope that you've been blessed by it. I know I have. If it didn't speak to anybody, it has to me. I can tell you that. I'm having a hard time narrowing down my people to one, though. I can be honest with you on that, okay? Uh, I have several that I'm praying for every day. Hopefully you're still doing that. The prayer, you have a bookmark. I can get you one if you want one later. But number one, and, this, and the point will be up on the top, and then you'll see some ver a verse that goes with it. Uh, but the first one is to commit to being an intentional witness. An intentional witness. See, Philip didn't have to go back to uh, Nathaniel and tell him about Jesus, did he? See, I mean, he didn't have to. It's in our Bible and we see that he did, but he, he could have just went back. Maybe they go fishing. They like to fish in that area. I don't know. I mean, they didn't have, he didn't have to go back and tell him about Jesus, but he did. He did. Um, now, Nathaniel doubted, of course, because um, did, did Nathaniel jump, jump for joy whenever Philip come to him? Oh, Jesus? Oh, yeah, I heard about him. We've been reading. Yeah, yeah, that's what the, the prophets prophesied about him. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to meet him. No, that wasn't his response, was it? His response was completely different. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Again, so, so there's another lesson in there. 
All right, that you know, people may reject, uh, you know, the message sometimes. Not you, but the message. All right, uh, but again, Nathaniel doubted that anything good could come from Nazareth, and Philip could have stopped right there and had an argument, couldn't he? Well, if he lived in 2020, he might have done that on Facebook. All right, and had a, had a whole debate about it. Amen. All right, I, I say amen. My mom's probably like, you know, I, I ask for amens because, and they tell me that I, I speak too fast to get my amen. So I've been trying to work on my wait time. On the amens. All right. Uh, only time I get one is when somebody says my jokes aren't good enough. But anyway, um, amen. See, see, amen. Uh, but um, but anyway, what does Daniel? Look and see what Nathaniel says in verse forty-nine. After Jesus says, "Oh yeah, but you know, I saw you uh, under the fig tree. I saw you. I know who you are." And he's and then he says um, that Jesus was the Son of God. But it was after what Jesus said to him. Okay. Another lesson in that. So again, I would rather be intentional about sharing Christ with others. Someone has to tell them. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 17. If you don't want to turn to it, it'll be on the screen. It says, How then can they call on Him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, but not all obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. And again, like I said many times, there's no another sermon in a sermon there we can do later about some of the way people are preaching nowadays. We talked about that Wednesday night, right, brother? All right, they don't, you know, we, we, they, some people have compassion, but they don't have the Word of God. Okay? All right? And some people have the Word of God, but not much compassion. Some churches. All right? And so we want to have that balance of, you know, we, this church believes in this Bible, but we also love people. Okay. Um, and that's a fine line to walk sometimes. But do you remember whenever you gave your life to Christ? Do you remember that? Remember that song? Wasn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful song. I love that song. But remember, um, people can argue about all sorts of stuff about Christianity. They can debate you up and down. But they can't argue about how Jesus changed you. Okay. And, and, and I told you all a little bit about my story. And I grew up in church. And, but but just, just never did really give my life to Christ until I was about until I was 20 years old. And I can remember um, uh, going and I used to uh, party with a group of guys and play basketball with a group of guys. And we'd, you know, we'd go out and have a few drinks or maybe a little bit more than a few. Uh, and I can remember giving my life to Christ shortly after that. And those same people said, hey, Murph, man, you'll come, come party with us this weekend? I'm not. I can't do that anymore. Thanks to Calvary, I can't go there anymore. Amen? I can't. I can't do that anymore. Why? Well, because I gave my life to Jesus, and, and I, can't, I, can't live that. I can't do that anymore. You know, I can remember that vividly. And that song, Thanks to Calvary, listen to some of the words. Today I went down to the place where I used to go. Today I saw the same old crowd I knew before. When they asked me what had happened, I tried to tell them, Thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. He says, thanks to Calvary, I'm not the man I used to be. Thanks to Calvary, things are different than before. And as the tears ran down my face, I tried to tell them, thanks to Calvary, I don't come here anymore. Amen. So what's your story? Simply be willing to share it. I think we make it so much more difficult than it really is. And we're going to look at some excuses later that we use. But um, it's not just going to happen by osmosis. It's by just us standing there. We hope a little bit of Christianity rubs off on them. You know, uh, like last week, we told that, that story about the fishing, you know, and, and, and about fishermen. And, and we learned, we talked all about, we knew, of course, y'all, we knew the, the, the relation, the connection there was, you know, was to, to sharing the gospel. 
All right, uh, fishing, uh, synonymous with sharing the gospel. When the whole idea was, man, we, we talked about fishing a lot. We did classes about fishing. We had doctors in fishology. We hung out and lived right by some fish. All right, and we hoping that our good works will just kind of rub off on them and maybe they'll come to Christ. But we have to be willing to share. Share your story. It's, it's, they won't simply come to Christ because our goodness rubbed off on them. Right? We, we have to be uncomfortable. We have, excuse me. We have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Comfortable with that because it's tough. By the way, we're planning some things in the future that we've been talking about on Wednesday night. So if you want, it's kind of like the old saying: you you don't want to be volunteered for something, you better come, all right? Um, because we're thinking about some ideas. We so we shared some really good ideas Wednesday night about some some going out and, some, and visiting people around here, or maybe going out in the Jasper on the old railroad tracks and pray. And I do a prayer walk. I'm just telling you, there's some things that we got going, some ideas we have going on because we want to be intentional about reaching our, our people for Christ. So again, if we as Christians really want to see people come to Christ, we must realize that that one really does matter. Number two, go and tell. Go tell it on the mountain, right? Over the hills and everywhere. Thank God uh, Patrick's not on the scene anymore. Amen. All right. Philip found Nathanael, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him, come and see. Again, Philip told Nathanael. Okay? He didn't just go see him. He told him about Jesus. Look a little bit up in front of that. John chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated to Christ. What, what would have happened if, if, if Andrew never told Peter? What an, amazing, what an amazing man of God and Christian that Peter was. Yeah, he had some issues. Right, we all do. But imagine if, Peter, if, if Andrew never told him. Right? Imagine if, if, if the person who told Billy Graham about Christ and brought him and helped bring him to salvation didn't tell him. Just imagine. Right? You never know. You never know who you're talking to might, and, and, and come to Christ or water it or plant it, whatever. They can come, they come to Christ and then they end up being a, a, a preacher of um, you know, thousands of people. You never know. You never, ever really know. I, I can remember being encouraged to find out that a couple boys from the same class at Lee, in Little Old Lee, Florida, right? Two of those boys are, are, um, are pastors. They one's a new pastor and one's a pastor. Had no idea. And their parents are like, you know, uh, one of the parents like, you had an impact on them. All right, thank you for having an impact on them. Had no idea. You never, you never really know. According to Mr. Hunt, and I think it's their 2012 numbers, don't quote me on that, um, but he, this is interesting. 20% of believers, only 20% of believers will invite another believer to church. To research. Only one out of five of us will invite another Christian or uh, to church. One out of five. But boy, listen to listen to this. Only two percent of believers will ever invite an unchurched or unsaved person to church. Ninety-eight percent of us don't do that. Wow, that's amazing. How else are they going to hear about Jesus? How else are they going to hear about Jesus? Uh, we, yes, we welcome to our church, but, but how are they going to hear? I don't know. It's up to us. How often do we do, do this? How often do we go tell it on the mountain? First Peter 3, verse 15 says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
always be willing to share what Jesus has done in your heart. That's all that simply means. Okay? To give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in you. Why do you have such hope, Patrick? Why do you have such hope, Hallie? Right? Angela, Bethany, how? Why? because of Jesus. Okay? Be willing to do that wherever you go. I got the following ideas from Mr. Johnny Hunt, but I wanted to share them with you and, and, and ask you to think about it. Could we, as a church or individual, try to do one of the following? Just think about it, and, and hopefully it'll challenge somebody here and reach somebody here. Invite one unchurched person to breakfast, lunch, or dinner this year and share your testimony with that person. Can you do that? One unchurched person to breakfast, lunch, or dinner and share your testimony. Or secondly, invite one family in your neighborhood to your home Choose one of your family members to tell their story about Christ. You know, you do that, just have somebody. I know some people just naturally have the gift of hospitality. My sister is one of them. And, and my grandma, maybe the gift of hospitality. Maybe you don't have that gift, but you can still open your house up all right, for a little bit. Or invite one unchurched or unsaved person to attend church with you. Let's not be the 98%. Let's be the 2% of people who actually do that. Amen? You yourselves... Or our letter. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of God, of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Right? And that's what can happen there if we, if we are used by Christ uh, to reach these people. Right? So again, if we as Christians realize, really want to see people come to Christ, we must realize that one matters. And so we come to last point, number three. Recognize and repent of excuses. Now, I, I'm sure we've all been guilty at some point of making excuses for not doing something, right? Okay, I, y'all, just the other day, I, I was trying to go over, um, I don't know what it was. I think we were playing, I think we were playing dodgeball. Uh, and, and I was trying to, you know, go over so make sure everybody knew the rules and you know, make sure, because I had a few new students this semester. And I, I said, all right, everybody just take a knee. You know, take a knee and I'm going to go over the rules. And I had like two people said, oh, coach, I, you know, they were like hugging to get like on with each other, had an arm around each other. Said, we're both really sore from working out yesterday. We can't sit down. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I said, you know what? The excuses I hear how many kind of just stand up for goodness sake, you know. But anyway, uh, but the excuses. I found some pretty funny excuses. Uh, I didn't make this up, so you actually might laugh at this. Um, I found some pretty funny excuses from a website called Tiny Pulse. That people actually, these are apparently real, that people use for not coming to work. I'm going to share seven of them with you. Uh, the first one was, I can't make it to work because my kids stole our car. <laughs> apparently, the kid had their car, and then they didn't tell the cops about it, but they told the, 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 the that was their excuse for not coming to work. They, called, they told their, employ, uh, their employers. Um, another one was, I broke my arm reaching for a sandwich. I mean, I think they could have come up with something better than that, you know, but anyway. Um, uh, anyway, next one. My refrigerator fell on me. Real excuses. Um, fourth one, my convertible is full of flour. F-L-O-U-R. They claimed a truck of uh, like a bread truck or something and dump into their convertible. True stuff. Um, and the next one says, I just put my casserole in the oven. I can't come to work. They couldn't think of a better time to cook the casserole to in the morning to go to work. Right? Or I poke myself in the eye with a hairbrush. I don't, I don't have to worry about that. But, um, and then, lastly, I broke my foot after I got up from the toilet. <laughs> Any fans of The Office, that probably, you probably think of Michael and the famous uh, burn my foot on a George Foreman grill. 
All right, right. Bethany is clapping. She and I love The Office. It's my, one of my, my favorite show. All right. Um, but anyway, excuses that we use, and, and all steers just know, let's look at some excuses. Before we do, I want to uh, take you back to Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Greek. Again, the power of God for salvation to everyone. So why do we use an excuse like someone might make fun of us or something? Isn't Jesus worth it? Isn't he worth it? Amen. This, uh, I want to direct your attention to Matthew 13, verses 45 to 46. It says, again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. And it's one of those like really short parables, right? And you're like, ah, that's a good parable. You're reading your Bible story that day, whatever, you know, your quiet time. That's good. And a lot of times I think we're guilty of just kind of like keeping reading on. But um, there's a man named Michael Yusuf who did a great job explaining the importance of the pearl illustration. And here's what he said. He said, there are two things you must know about pearls to understand the biblical illustration. First of all, back then, pearls were the most precious commodity. Not, not one of the precious commodities, but the most precious commodity. More highly valued in that day than diamonds. Okay? All right, pearls. They were greatly valued, all right, secondly, because diving for the oysters that contained the pearls was an extremely hazardous exercise. Right? Uh, there were many people who lost their lives diving for these oysters. Both the beauty and the scarcity of the pearl make it extremely valuable, and people often gave all their money and belongings to possess just one priceless pearl. If I get emotional, you'll have to forgive me, but on that cruel Roman cross, the only perfect God-man suffered bled and died and it's only through his death on the cross and his ultimate resurrection from the dead that the priceless pearl of salvation is made available to every one of us nothing can compare can be compared with this pearl you know you, you ask people well what's the most what's the one of the most awesome day of your life the best day of your life and yeah we you know definitely um, you know getting married and, and having kids are up there but the day i got saved goes above all amen the day I got saved, the day I gave my life to Christ. You know, and the whole, the, there's another, I know you've heard this before, but, you know, if we had the cure for cancer, wouldn't we go tell somebody about it, Howie? If, we had the, if I had the cure for cancer, I'd be telling everybody, hey, man, this is what you got to do. This right here will do it. We, and, and, you know, the obvious connection is, but it's just because we've heard it before doesn't make it less meaningful, you know, that we have the cure for spiritual cancer, Jesus Christ. And we don't share. Y'all know, it preached to me first. And we don't share. We don't share that priceless pearl. So what are some potential excuses that we make for not sharing the gospel? According to Mr. Hunt, he had 10 of them, and I'm going to show you each 10. And for the sake of time, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on each one. I'm going to show you, I'm going to tell you a little bit about each one, and then I'm going to uh, have kind of a, instead, the Bible says, to counteract that. Does that make sense? Okay. I think, you know, the guy Steve Harvey on Family Feud, you know, the survey says. Okay, all right, so the Bible verse won't be up there, but I'll, I'll read it to you. And if you want to write it down, you can, you can write it down. I'll tell you each one. So the first one uh, is spiritual lethargy. All right? My mom is very proud of me for pronouncing that word correctly. All right, spiritual lethargy. Uh, we get lazy spiritually, do we not? We get lazy. Uh, we kind of rest on our laurels. This takes place when we fail to obey. A, a lack of growth inevitably leads to a diminished desire to share Christ with other people. And instead, the Bible says, 
2 Timothy 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed, correctly teaching the word of truth. Instead, we stay in our word and we pray and we have our time with God every day. Number two, the second excuse is growing inclusiveness. Growing inclusiveness. Would you all agree with that? That's an excuse. Um, All religions lead to God is a popular opinion. Have you heard it? All religions lead to God. Um, and, And sometimes this view affirms that Jesus is not the only way to salvation, but that he can be found in other quote unquote good religions. It's a subtle belief that somehow good followers will make it to heaven outside of Christian conversion. We're going to look at at hell next week, by the way, and see somebody that was in hell that was a pretty good guy. Right? Look at that. But Christianity again is it, it is it's it's both inclusive and exclusive. It's it's inclusive that anybody can come to Christ, right? but it's exclusive in that the only way to God is through Christ. Right? We talked about this, and some of y'all are new, but uh, some we talked about the whole illustration of a mountain, and God is on top of the mountain, and uh, they say that you know the different religions are are all you know represented represented by people just climbing up the mountain to God, you know all the world religions, all different religions, but Christianity is different in that God come down the mountain to us. That's the difference. God came down the mountain to us. Amen. Jesus instead, the Bible says. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6. In Acts 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we are saved. We must be saved. Number three, disbelief in hell. And again, this is one we're going to focus, we're going to look at next week. And uh, I can already tell you, it's, it's, uh, it's about rich, the rich man and Lazarus. And some of you are like, well, brother, Pastor, you just did that in December. I did. All right, that is true, but we're just going to be a different sermon, so don't let that keep you from coming next week. But a disbelief in hell, this, this undermines the urgency of placing one's faith in Christ alone. When we don't think hell is a real place, we don't think it's a big deal. And we don't, and we don't have the urgency to share uh, about Christ. It goes, again, back to what we talked about weeks ago. If, if we know that a test doesn't count for a grade, you're not going to study as hard for it, are you, Bethany? Not really. I say Bethany because I know she's in college right now. All right, so you know, oh, it don't count. I knew, I knew it began. I hate Miss Miss Murphy. Uh, My mom will tell you that um, that that she, you know, I hated the beginning of every semester because I thought I was supposed to know everything. All right, and so um, until I figured out how what the teacher really wanted me to do, I was stressing, man. I, you know, I was I was a head case. Once I saw that, okay, that teacher when that teacher says to read, that professor says to read chapters one and two. But it's not going to be on the test. Guess what Patrick won't do next time he says to read? I won't be reading. After that first test, oh, okay, you need to read chapters 5 through 7. Okay, not going to happen because you're not going to require it on the test. All right, but so again, when we don't believe in hell, instead the Bible says, and they will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Eternal punishment. That's just one verse. Matthew 25, verse 46, if you're writing those. Number four, fourth excuse, busyness. Business. Oh, man. We can have a whole sermon about this. We can't even brother. We get so busy. And we've talked about this before. We, you know, we don't want to be uh, inconvenienced. We get so busy. The unchurched need us to put a, put a time in our calendar or in our phone or in our to-do list for them. Instead, the Bible says this. Y'all remember Mary and Martha? I remember some of that story. All right, Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. I may just kind of skip a little bit. Basically, 
I mean, let me, you know, for a sake of time, it's Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. But basically, Mary is very distracted in doing a lot of things, getting, this little, uh, getting everything ready at their house, at her home, uh, to the point where it says, um, sorry, not Mary, Martha. Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. We just get so busy. What priority do we give to reaching the lost? Number five, the fifth excuse, a fear of rejection. I think this is one of the bigger ones. Would you all agree? I, I just feel like we, we don't want people to judge. We want people to think certain things about us and they're going to reject us. And, oh, man. You know, research, this is so interesting. Research shows that only one out of four unchurched persons will be resistant, resistant to faith discussions. Only one out of four. All right? But we don't share because we think it's 100%. All right? uh, but only one out of four. So let's try it. I mean, what can it hurt? All right? it's, it's only one out of four you know, that are resistant. 75% of them are open you know, to it, according to research. Uh, the few with an antagonistic attitude are not rejecting you personally anyway. Right? Their anger is merely a reflection of something in their past. Or, uh, Of course, we know that you know, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the Bible says... The person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit because it's foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it's evaluated spiritually. And by the time we talk about that, the Holy Spirit's got to come in. It's got the Holy Spirit's got to, before you go, you should pray, God, by your Holy Spirit, lead me because without him, it's not going to happen anyway. Amen? And so, uh, so it's, it's going to be foolishness to, to some people. It's going to be foolishness. They're going to be, what? Do you believe Jesus? That happened 2,000 years ago. That really matters to you? Okay, there might be some like that. But number six, all right, and this is similar to number two, a desire to be tolerant. A desire to be tolerant. Oh, that's a catchphrase today, isn't it? Tolerant. Uh, the gospel is in some ways intolerant. We've already kind of talked about that, so I'm going to keep this uh, shorter. Uh, the one true God insists so there can be no other gods. He's a jealous God. Okay? Instead, the Bible says in Matthew seven fourteen, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Number seven, losing the habit of witnessing. Right? And some of us may have never even developed the habit of witnessing to begin with. Right? Uh, I, I'm guilty of that sometimes. I think I was one that felt like my goodness would just kind of wear off, you know, rather than being intentional. But for many reasons, people have kind of quit witnessing. It's a discipline. It can be regained. It's like shooting a basketball. You know, I, I, your, my mom would tell you, she, when I left the house, she still heard the basketball bouncing. Okay, because I shot so many times. And, and I had students today be like, Coach, how come you can shoot so well? Because I shot 500 shots a day. That's the only reason. Okay? So uh, the practice is just like shooting a basketball. You have to practice. So instead, the Bible says in Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Without reading the rest of that, I think you know the rest. Number nine, lack of accountability. Lack of accountability. Um, it's like we have a bunch of Christian Lone Rangers. You know, uh, we're by ourselves. We don't want anybody to help us. But, you know, we really do need to have that accountability because it helps encourage us. Encourage us. Uh, I can remember being in uh, campus outreach um, in, in, uh, at, at Valdosta State, and I was the oldest one probably in the campus outreach, you know, because I was like a six-year senior or something. You know, I was still get, trying to get my eligibility. That's a bad joke. Um, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, football, all the transfers, the portal, never mind. Uh, but anyway, and, and so I, I was like, why are these – got to answer to these, like, freshmen? 
you know. But it, it was a count. I said, how many times you had the quiet time this week? I'm like, well, I'm not an answer to this freshman, man. You don't even know what life's about, you know. But I would do it anyway, and it would help me. It would, like, it would challenge me to have my quiet time. So next week I can say I've been seven out of seven, whatever, okay. But my point is accountability, and, and I think uh, the church, you know, uh, I know you've heard this before, um, but iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Uh, as we close out here, we have two more. Number nine, failure to invite. Failure to invite. All right? um, and when was the last time you invited an unchurched person to church? All right? It's a simple gesture. All right? And Luke 14, verse 23, is a parable that Jesus told. He said, Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. And Philip telling Nathaniel and Andrew telling Peter. And Number 10, the church is not intent on reaching the lost. It is said that it takes 85 church members to reach one unsaved person. That's, that's not a good ratio. Not a good ratio. I wonder what we're talking about. If, it's just, if it takes 85 people, I don't know. Churches must regain their passion for the lost. Amen. Could we have lost our first love like the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2-4? Because that's what said there. You have abandoned your, your, the love you had at first. Or maybe we become lukewarm like, the, lukewarm like the church of Laodicea in Revelations 3 verse 15. I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I don't know. Instead, the Bible says that we should remember how far we've fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. That's also in Revelation chapter 2. And then I wish that you were cold or hot. He says, man, pick a side. Don't ride a fence anymore. Pick a side. There was a there was an old story. I, I, I know it's about time to go here, but Mr. Tommy says I go to one today. Um, bad joke. Sorry, I'm just playing with you. All right. He said, I'm not coming back here. Um, but the old story about Michael Jordan and his friend, and you know, he had a, a, another, I can't remember which other athlete it was. Um, I don't know if it was Patrick Ewan or somebody. It was another, it was another basketball player, and he had him at the house, and he was a young guy, and, and you know, and, and uh, he come in wearing like Adidas stuff. And uh, like Michael Jordan, apparently, that's just kind of shortened the story, but he went through and just like cut up all, and threw out all his, all that guy's Adidas stuff, you know, because he wanted to be a Nike guy. He's like, you won't have to make it. Stop riding the fence, all right? You're going to be a Nike guy or not, okay? All right, you know, I'm gonna, so, and, and stop riding the fence. And so obviously with us, let's not ride the fence. So as I asked Mr. Lewis to come up, if we as Christians really want to see people come to Christ, we must realize that one person matters. And, as we close out, who, who is that one? My hope is that you've, you know, you've found that. If you weren't here with us last week or a week before, you're welcome to, uh, to think about that. I can give you a, a bookmark later. I have plenty right here all right, that you can, you can have to see me afterwards. But again, I hope it challenges you. To, uh, I know it challenged me to commit to being intentional. Let's commit to being intentional. Let's go and tell. And let's, let's recognize and repent of our excuses. In Revelation chapter 2, I just read it, and you may have missed that, but it says to, in Revelation 2, verse 5, it says, Remember then how far you have fallen. Remember then how far you have fallen. You abandoned your love you had at first, and then it says, Remember how far you have fallen. Isn't that interesting? You know, that we forget. So let's not forget. Let's remember when we came to Christ. An amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm blind. Wow, was blind, but now I see. Remember that. Remember that. And when we have that, that's going to encourage us. You know what? Um, we're going to sing there's room at the cross for, for you today. And there's room at the cross for your friend and for your neighbor and your coworker. There's room at the cross for them.
Okay? Let's be about trying our best to, to share that with other people. Right? We know what he did for us. How could we keep it, keep it from somebody else? Amen. Thank you, Miss. As we ask Miss Sally to come up. Page 315, Room at the Cross. Amen.